turn to Ephesians 4. If you're new with us, we have been studying Ephesians for about a year and a half. Uh, And the way we go about it is we just work verse by verse. At times, it has been just one verse uh, or part of a verse. Other times, it's a chunk of verses. Other times, somewhere in between. So we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. Follow as I read Ephesians 4, 25-27. This is the Word of God. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Amen. So, the first half of Ephesians is mainly about what God has done for us in salvation in Christ, and the second half is mainly about what we do in response. Uh, We have entered the second half of the letter, and the last section that we studied in chapter 4, verses 1 through 24, really established a framework for the entire second half. Verse 1, we're urged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, Verse 17, no longer walk as the unbelieving world. So the first half of the letter describes in great detail how God has called us out of the world into Christ. The second half of the letter, how we are to live out our calling in Christ. One of the main things we've seen on a corporate level is the importance of working hard to maintain unity in the body of Christ. God did not just call us individually. Uh, He did that, but He also called us as Christ's body. And maintaining unity in the body of Christ is essential to walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And I'll talk about this on different levels, but we can think about this at the family level, at the local church level, you know, and and beyond. Uh, Another one of the important things that we've seen on an individual level is the importance of this ongoing fight to be killing sin and pursuing a life of holiness, um, putting off and putting on. We saw that language in our last little section, verses 17 to 24. So in verse 25 and following, we're getting into more specific commands that tell us exactly what we need to be putting off and what we need to be putting on. What sin needs to be killed and what things exactly do we need to be pursuing in order to grow more like Jesus. And what we'll see is these themes of unity in the body of Christ, putting off, putting on, uh, putting off the old, putting on the new. These themes remain throughout the rest of the letter. We're just going to be putting a little bit more skin on them. In fact, look at our passage for today. Verse 25, put away falsehood, speak the truth. Put off the old, put on the new. And speaking the truth is also a unity issue. Verse 15 told us that. We looked at that in detail, and we'll look at it again today. But uh, it says that one of the primary ways we mature as the body of Christ is speaking the truth in love one to another. Then look ahead at verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, rather let him labor. Again, put off, don't do this. Put on, do this. 
you see what I mean? That these themes, unity in the body of Christ, putting off, putting on, they continue throughout the rest of the letter. We're just putting more skin on them. Uh, one important thing, kind of stating the obvious before we move on, obedience to the Lord and growing in Him is not just about not doing things. It's also about doing other things instead. It's not just not walking in the path of sin. It's also walking in the path of life. Maybe there was a time, you know, as a younger Christian or whatever, or maybe now where it's like, well, you know, I look out and I kind of evaluate myself against other people and I don't do these things and they do those things and whatever it is. I mean, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. Certainly there is a uh, putting off of some things and not doing certain things, but it's not really evaluating yourself against others as much as just against God's call. Uh, Another thing, I'll continue to mention this in various ways as we go. For Christians, there is this part of us that bucks the commands of God. It's called the flesh, the sin nature. Um, But then there's this other part of us in the Spirit that rightly sees that the commands of God are life-giving. They lead us into God's glory. They lead us even into our own personal joy. Um, that part that of us that bucks the commands of God is deceitful, as we saw in the last section. It's just plain wrong. We can't listen to it. We have to fight it. Our flesh hates the things of God. There is this evil part of us that wants to rob God of His glory and even steal our own joy from us, uh, which can only be found in the Lord and in His ways. So the view that we should have of the commands of God is found in, verse, uh, in Psalm 119. Listen to a couple quotations from Psalm 119. It says, In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. And he uses a bunch of different words for the word. Testimonies, commands, statutes, uh, laws. He's talking about the word, the commands. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all time. It doesn't say that God's rules and commands are you know, restrictive, just the opposite. They lead us in the path of freedom. They are life-giving. I'm consumed with longing for them. I delight in them. And you see that language over and over again in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a love poem about the Word of God. So, the reason I say that is this. As we work through the commands in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, um, I think it would be a good idea maybe to work through Psalm 119 on your own, in your own devotional time, just to make sure that we're priming our minds and hearts to view the commands of God as we should. There's this part of us that bucks them, but in reality, God's commands are our delight. Uh, They are... We want to be consumed with longing for them because they lead us in the path of life. They're not burdensome. And if we think we, they are, we're operating in that part of us uh, that hates the things of God. We're in the flesh, not in the Spirit. Alright, let's break down verses 25 to 27. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So the section starts with therefore, and wherever there's a therefore or because, it's always good to just look back and see what we've covered. It connects us to the previous section. He's saying, in light of what we have established in this last section, 
uh, that unity in the body of Christ is important, that we have to be always putting off and putting on. In light of that, we put away falsehood, we speak the truth with each other. And he says, with our neighbor, sometimes in the Bible, the language of neighbor means everyone, right? Love God, love neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Well, whoever God puts in your path. Uh, But here, Paul, when he says neighbor, he means Christian. And we know that because he says we are members one of another. That's just that's language that he uses elsewhere to say we're members of the same body, uh, members one of another. That's not to say we shouldn't put away falsehood and speak the truth with our neighbor across the street. Uh, we should, regardless of whether or not they're Christians. If they're not, we should get to know them and love them and look for ways to serve them and opportunities to tell them the truth about Jesus. In fact. Um, you know, we, we pray for those opportunities, we hope for that, but I think maybe it's good to think about it just in terms of we kind of start here and work our way out. If we can't do this here, putting away falsehood, speaking the truth, working for unity, that sort of thing, um, how are we going to do it there? Anyway, let's talk a little bit about putting away falsehood and speaking the truth. Of course, putting away falsehood um, means not telling lies, um, whether that just be an outright lie about something or lying on your taxes or whatever it is. Um, but not, and not only not telling lies, but also uh, exposing lies that we or others might be tempted to believe. An example that I keep using because I think it keeps coming up in our lives is the one that says, you know, personal happiness is the way of freedom. It's just not true. Uh, a lot of times pursuing personal happiness will end you up in bondage. True freedom is only found in the Lord and in His ways. And uh, that's not to say that God is an, an eternal killjoy. God cares about our personal joy and our personal satisfaction, but all joy is in Him. It says, Psalm 16, in His presence is the fullness of joy. And we often go seeking our joy and happiness in other things that don't contain any And so He lovingly disciplines us, corrects us, and all that. Um, Putting away falsehood can also mean not trying to appear better than we actually are. You know? Nobody gets help that way. And I think uh, the church in our culture over the last many years, many of us loathe that about maybe where we grew up and the tendency still here to do that. But uh, we know that that's not good. People are worse then they appear when they're all buttoned up. And it doesn't really help to um, try to appear any better than we actually are. Because of God's grace, we can be honest about where we are in our lives. We all have sin. Uh, We all need some degree of help right now and will forever until we get home. And so uh, putting away falsehood, I think, frees us to just be honest. This is where I am. This is where I'm trying to go. Not there yet. Putting away falsehood and speaking the truth. Uh, Again, remember, this is one of the ways that, one of the primary ways that we mature in the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love. And again, it's not just pastor, preacher, teacher types speaking the truth. Although if your pastor, preacher, teachers are not speaking the truth, you need to run. But not just pastor, preacher, teachers, everyone speaking the truth one to another. Uh, It's a major way that we grow to maturity in the body of Christ. So again, just let's run through um, some of the ways that we do that. And if you have any in mind, speak up. A couple that I've 
come across recently and uh, I think just relevant for all of us as we all have people like this in our lives. A brother or sister in Christ who is depressed. Um, we can remind them of the truths of the Gospel and the comforts therein, of the hope that we have eternally and God's promises um, not only for eternity, but to be with us uh, through this life into eternity. A brother or sister in Christ who's broken in sin, reminding them of the hope of the Gospel, um, reminding them that God disciplines us because He loves us. You know, he, he, uh, the only reason He exposes us is because He loves us and He's committed to our growth in Him. A brother or sister in Christ who's in a season of suffering, reminding them of the goodness of God, reminding them of the sovereignty of God, that He is indeed in control of this entire situation, uh, that He's working it for your ultimate good, and, and reminding those who are suffering, sometimes it's better to say little with those who are suffering, but just reminding our brothers and sisters of the presence of God. He is here. He is with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Again, just speaking the truth uh, into difficult context. Or how about a brother or sister, we talked about this one a few weeks ago, but how about a brother or sister who is persisting in sin, not willing to repent? How do we speak the truth in love there? Is love uh, you know, not saying anything, or is it saying something? How do we say it? But I think you know, the best way we can love them there is correcting them and calling them repentance, turning back to the Lord and, and to His ways. And not just um, brothers and sisters that are here in church with us, but we have family members elsewhere and, and friends elsewhere who uh, profess to be Christians but are persisting in sin. I have a friend from in here that recently with a co-worker and friend has had to confront him about his life uh, extramarital affair and um, you know just telling him you're obviously blind to these things and this is not only going to destroy you and this person but a lot of people involved your your family wife and lots of kids and generations I mean this is devastating you need to repent and, and turn and you know through that the man that was in this relationship was crushed by it, which is good. I mean, we ha- we have to be broken over our sin in order to get somewhere in repentance, and so that is a grace when we confront, lovingly confront our brothers and sisters over sin. Having put away falsehood, speaking the truth to one another, one of the primary ways we grow corporately is as we speak the truth to one another in love. So the next time you think, and I think we all come to these places, I'm really thinking about saying something. Whether to someone who's in a dark place, uh, suffering, persisting in sin, broken in sin, I'm really thinking about saying something. You know, Realizing that we do the hard work in our heart to make sure that we're not saying things flippantly and carelessly, but just remember how important speaking the truth in love is to our maturity. And uh, those words of comfort or those words of correction or whatever it may be. Alright, next verse. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. 
Now, the first thing that strikes me here is it says, be angry. Not uh, if you get angry or when you are angry, but be angry. And I think it's helpful to know the context. Paul is quoting here from Psalm 4, verse 4. And the, the context of that psalm is that injustice has been done to King David. The preceding verses say this, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you seek after lies? People are dishonoring King David. They're telling lies about him. Next verse, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for Himself. The Lord hears me when I call to Him. So, there is injustice being done to him. People are telling lies about him. But he reorients himself to the God of all justice. And he knows, God's going to take care of me. And God's going to take care of this. And the truth will be known uh, in his time. And then Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. And he says, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices, which we know elsewhere is humble and contrite heart, broken and contrite uh, spirit, and put your trust in the Lord. So King David has been sinned against, but he doesn't retaliate. He reorients himself in prayer. He reminds himself of what to do. Be angry. It's okay to be angry when someone sins against you. Uh, It's okay to be angry when someone is telling lies about you. It's okay to be angry when injustice is done whether to you personally or on a larger scale. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts. Be silent. Don't retaliate. Be brokenhearted before the Lord, expressing to Him what this does to you as opposed to them what this does to you. Uh, Trust Him. Trust Him that He will take care of you in this and this. Be angry and do not sin. This is really about what to do with your anger. There's a wrong response, retaliating, responding with sinful anger. There's a right response, taking our anger to the Lord and trusting Him. That doesn't mean that there's never a time to speak when someone has made you angry. It may be appropriate to speak. Um, But you know as well as I do that we should never speak in our anger. I mean, it never gets us anywhere except, you know, a few more pieces to pick up. It's always just a good rule of thumb in your anger, whatever caused it, to go to the Lord first for Him to deal with your heart in the matter, whether or not you're the one that caused it or not. Your heart's doing funny things in response to it. For Him to to shape your response. And if there is indeed a response needed, you know, waiting on His timing and wisdom and how to say what to say and all that. Now, before we move on to some more practical... um, dealing with anger, I want to think about a couple scenarios, a couple more scenarios where it might be appropriate to experience uh, anger and and where we just kind of heed this, be angry, uh, places where anger is appropriate. Number one, just seeing injustice and evil in the world. Uh, If you haven't read or heard of David Platt's new book, Counterculture, I highly recommend it. It's an excellent book. Um, you've maybe heard of his other book, Radical, and this is kind of his latest. But um, I think we have it in the book nook out there if you want to get it. But it's, it's good. It's different topics that he's dealing with and lots of just injustices in the world and things like that. Uh, and just our call to be a counterculture to the culture that, you know, 
fuels these injustices. Anyway, uh, in that book, you could read about Malia. Malia is a nine-year-old little girl from an extremely poor family in the mountains of Nepal. Um, You could read about how a young man came to her village and made promises to she and her mother about a future, about education and uh, work for young Malia, not only for her, but also for the family. She can go, she can get educated, she can get work, um, and, and be able to bring money back to her family and her village. It was a very hard, very sad decision for Malia and her mother, but they decided that it would be best for her future and uh, the future of her family to go and, um, and work and get educated uh, where this man worked. And, uh, but in reality, this man was a sex trafficker. And at nine years old, Malia was sold into sex slavery, uh, not to return to her village, much less send money. Or how about abortion? I mean, thankfully, the recent Planned Parenthood videos, uh, they've helped to expose what abortion is to the American conscience. And I think whenever we talk about this, it's important to say, uh, especially if you've seen these videos and you've had an abortion, uh, the gospel is still a gospel. Grace is still sufficient. And there is grace to cover your sin. Uh, but one of the things, especially in times like this, we have to do is just to talk about the great evil that it is. Um, so if you have had an abortion, come to Christ. He does forgive you. He did pay for even that sin or those sins. Um, but I think what these videos have done, if you haven't seen them, there's seven videos that have been released about Planned Parenthood. Uh, And they're basically sting operation videos. And if you haven't watched them, make yourself watch them. Make yourself see what it is. Because I think we get get numb and and we get a little callous to what's going on and we hear these numbers and things. But it just shows the gruesome reality that abortion is murder. 55 million plus people, humans, babies, murdered in our country in just 40 plus years. And I think we, get, we can get so apathetic because it's a statistic, it's a distant reality, whatever it is. I mean, I think these videos have brought it closer to home. But it is right to be angry that young girls will be stolen today and sold into sex slavery. That there are more slaves, listen to this, there are more slaves in the world today than were taken from Africa over four centuries in the African slave trade. More slaves today than any other time in history, an estimated 27 million people on earth right now, and many of those millions are in sex slavery, and many of those are young girls. Sex slavery is one of the fastest growing industries on earth. One way we should respond is simply to be angry. It's right to be angry that more babies will be murdered today that more babies will be murdered in our county this year than in any other county in our state, and that, um, again, 55 million plus and counting have been murdered in a short time. Again, another place where it is appropriate to be angry is when injustice is done against you, when someone sins against you, uh, whether lying about you or just sinning against you in some other way, maybe at work or at home. 
Uh, There are times when anger is not condemned. In fact, it is good. Be angry and do not sin. But here's the thing about our anger. We might have some righteous anger, but even our righteous anger is pretty muddled up with our sinful anger. But let's just say, hypothetically, uh, that we have 100% pure righteous anger about something. Even our righteous anger goes bad overnight. I learned this from uh, Doug Wilson. He said that righteous anger is like manna. Manna was the bread from heaven, if you don't know what that is. It was the bread from heaven that God provided for the Israelites and they're coming out of slavery into the promised land. And, uh, but how did they get the manna? Each morning on the ground. And, and what's the stipulation? Don't save it. I'm going to give you enough for today. And every day I'm going to give you enough for today. So trust me. And if you try to save it, it's going to mold and it's going to be foul and you're not going to be able to eat it. Um, you can't save the manna. It goes bad overnight. The same is true for our righteous anger. Even if we have a legitimate reason to be angry, if we keep it overnight, we wake up in the morning and it has turned sour. It has turned into vindictive anger. All of a sudden we want revenge or... Uh, We want to go about it in the flesh or we've got this root of bitterness in us. Be angry. There are appropriate times for anger. Do not sin. How we respond in our anger, we don't respond sinfully. And do not let the sun go down on your anger, even when we have righteous anger. Which, if we're honest, few and far between. But even when we do, it goes bad overnight. Uh, So what do we do with our anger? The first thing we do is we pray. Whether we're dealing with sins against us personally or because of sin and evil in the world, um, you know, with issues like sex, slavery, abortion, the starting point is prayer. Prayer for my heart, prayer for the issue at hand, prayer for the people involved. Um, Let's speak more directly about anger that arises in our relationships. So here's some free relationship counseling that will save you a lot of heartache and uh, a lot of time and really just go a long way in helping us along if we could ever get it. If we could ever get it. Uh, growing in holiness, enjoying our more harmony in our relationships. But the first thing is always dealing with it before God. So let's say there's a blow up, whether at home or at work, or just picture your last blow up. For some it was this morning on the way. Um, how do we... How do we go about it differently than that? Something happens, you're angry. <clears throat> first, <clears throat> first principle, retreat and, and deal with it before God. Entrust the issue to the Lord. And even if you are convinced at that moment that you have 100% uh, nothing, done nothing wrong, ask Him to expose your sin in the matter. How can I work on me um, in this situation, you, you know, uh, ask him not to let bitterness take root in your heart because he tells us in Hebrews that a root of bitterness, it defiles us, but it also defiles lots of other people. And all of a sudden, we're just going around bitter and we don't remember why. It's because we didn't deal with that thing. 
Confess where you have sinned. Ask for wisdom and how to approach reconciliation if, if needed. Um, how to move forward. Sometimes nothing else will be required other than that. Love covers a multitude of sins. There are times when we can work to forgive the other person in our heart, whether they ask for it or not, even if we would really like for them to ask for it. You know, we know that it's not always best to say, well, if you would just say, I'm sorry. That kind of compounds the issue sometimes, but as long as we're dealing with it, um, you can go about loving them, forgiving them, regardless of how they respond. Other times, a conversation is necessary. Now, I will say, uh, if you're the one doing the sinning against, Always confess your sin to God and to the other person. Always be saying, I'm sorry. Um, Whether it was a biting comment, you know, whatever it was, it's just always be picking up the pieces and saying, I'm sorry. So let's say there's a fight in your marriage, and if you're not married, these apply, these principles apply elsewhere. But uh, you may. You may not be talking it out with your spouse. You may be talking it out with someone else. But what we see in our passage is that God tells us to deal with whatever it is that day. The sun cannot go down on our anger. If we go to sleep without dealing with it, we're liable to wake up with bitterness in our hearts or just vindictive anger or more separation or whatever it is. Um, And then, so we deal with it. And then, if communication is necessary, back to the previous verse, speaking the truth in love. About that, there are just better ways to communicate than others. I think I've said this before, but when I've been an idiot, uh, Tiffany has written me letters in order to have a hard conversation. And that is a very effective way to communicate with me about my sin. When we talk face-to-face in an argument, I'm just too defensive. I mean, probably just too immature, especially in the moment. I mean, I'm just too defensive. My inner lawyer's working. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be justifying everything and I'm going to win the argument. It's not right. It just is what it is. So, that letter makes me put down my weapons and uh, it, it really exposes me and exposes all of those justifications that come flying because they still come flying when I'm reading the letter, but I have more time to process it. That's not to say, you know, some of you are like, I'm about to be a letter writer. You know, <laughs> those, those things have been few and far between. But, it, you know, you see patterns and you've been hurt. And that's just a, that's a, good, that's a good way to do it. Um, face-to-face communication in the moment is usually not a good option. Maybe when you've cooled, you can say, I'm sorry. Uh, that's good. I think the best thing to truly put it to rest is to pray together about that. Nothing brings you back together quite like that. Uh, we, we think we can just keep sweeping things under the rug. And look, again, this applies out in other relationships, in the workplace or whatever it is. We think we can keep sweeping, sweeping things under the rug, but the reality is they don't go away. Most of the things that we fight over are little things. But if you pile up a bunch of little things, what you have on your hand is a big mess. Um... I, I can tell you nothing's brought us closer together in reconciling relationship than, than praying, particularly after an argument. And again, and again, the same would be true with friends and all that sort of thing. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And, and the last part of that verse is give no opportunity to the devil. 
So here's the thing. Uh, There's nothing that the devil hates more than unity in our families, unity in the body of Christ, Christians killing sin, pursuing holiness, uh, maintaining unity is hard work, and I think the, the closer the relationship, the harder it is. And the devil loves for relationships to fracture in the body of Christ. This also informs the way that we deal in relationships with non-Christians. And I think when there's a relationship with a non-Christian, let's say a boss or whatever, uh, we definitely need to be the initiator in that. We should not expect that they're going to humble themselves and you know confess sin and all that. I mean, that's stuff that we do because God has humbled us and shown us our sin. So we take the lead in those opportunities, opportunities to show Christ. Picking up the pieces as they fall. Dealing with our angers in the, in the right ways. And uh, speaking the truth to one another, another in love. These may seem like small things, but these are major ways that we combat the devil and work for God's glory. Not only that, these are major ways that we pursue our own personal joy. God's glory and our joy are connected. God's commands lead us into our joy. They lead us on the path of life. You can stew over what happened all you want. But not only are you not walking the path of pursuing God's glory, not only are you not pursuing relationship repair and fixing the fracture with the person, you're also taking a vacuum to your own personal joy. Wherever you go, there you are, just you and your bitter heart. So having put away falsehood, speaking the truth in love to one another, we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray. Father in heaven, there are certain parts of your word that search us more than others, expose us more deeply. Lord, we are angry. We have anger. Lots of it very sinful. Um, But Lord, if nothing else, this frees me to realize that anger is sort of assumed here. We're going to have it. I think the way you deal with us here is very gracious. Uh, Help us to remember even in those moments where we are exposed in our anger that your grace is sufficient, that our sins are forgiven. And help us to heed this instruction of how best to navigate the very delicate path of um, dealing with our anger, relationship repair where it's needed, uh, dealing with our anger about other issues. And Lord, we want to follow You in Your paths, and we just pray that You would establish us in these ways, uh, not letting the sun go down our anger, speaking the truth in love to one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Has anybody have a thought? I went a little long, but uh, if you have a thought or question real quick, we can do that. What about it? Which one? Your personal happiness. What did you say there again? Personal happiness doesn't lead to freedom? Yeah. Yeah. We often think that our personal happiness leads us to freedom. The reality is, uh, you know, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. How does He lead us into that freedom for which He set us free? Along the commands of God. So... Good. Good. Uh, one other thing. 
I mean, we talked about righteous anger, just to be sure we're also talking about what to do with our unrighteous anger, which I don't know about you, but for me is I have more of that. And uh, maybe it's, the last thing I'll say is maybe it's not that you've been sinned against, but sometimes people just bother you, you know? It's like the way they did that, I don't really like them. I don't really, I'm very bothered by them and the way that they do those things. And so... uh, we can be angry because we are so sinful about really petty things. Dealing with anger there because all of a sudden, four weeks out, and you're like, I really hate them. How did I get there? Well, it's because when those things crop up and you don't like the way they did that thing, you're not dealing with that and all of a sudden you just can't stand to be around them. So, be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down. Amen. Have a good day.